Today on the podcast, we welcome my new friend, Jen Oshman, and she is the... Did I say that right, Jen? Yes, you did, Oshman. Jen Oshman. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to butcher your last name right out of the gate. Um, no worries. But, but Jen is uh, the author of a book called Enough About Me with the subtitle Finding Lasting Joy in the Age of Self. So Jen, when I saw this on the Crossway website, I immediately resonated with it, um, not because I'm a woman, but because I deal with this issue. And so you're targeting, uh, in light of my research on your book, um, you're targeting women, but the first thought I have was, and this is a this is a both gender issue for sure, right? Yeah, I think that's true. I have been so encouraged by a number of emails and messages I've received from men, pastors, and just you know guys on the street who've read the book, and I applaud them for reading a book by a woman who's you know um, I, I'm in women's ministry, so I'm glad they picked it up. And I do think it applies to both genders. I think it applies to everybody in the Western civilization in 2020, yeah, 2021. Absolutely. But my heart's for women. You know, I'm in women's ministry. I, mm-hmm. That's my. That's where my heart's at. And so that was a natural audience to write for. But but thanks for reading it as a man. I appreciate. <laughs> I appreciate you diving in. Yeah, I mean, I was just telling um, uh, a brother I was trying to encourage this morning who was just kind of struggling, and I just said, you know what, man? At the end of the day, one of the things that really helps me find perspective on on my bad days is just trying to preach to myself that this whole thing, it's not about me. You know, this, I'm not the center of this universe. And, um, you know, it's so simple, but I really think it's true. So I I really appreciate the title of your book. I mean, I would imagine you have a similar experience. Absolutely. I I mean, the the title enough about me, it's not about me is exactly as you just said. And as you said to your friend this morning, that is meant to be a huge relief Mm -hmm. in this age of self where we feel so responsible and required to conjure up our own self identity and energy and everything. Um, It's exhausting and it's killing us literally and figuratively. And so my goal with the book is to just bring relief and grace and joy and peace. Yeah. I I mean, I'll take some of that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Right. But I'd love to hear from you, Jen, like if you'd be so, um, if you'd be willing to just be, uh, as honest as, as you're comfortable with, like, where has these themes that you're writing about, like intersected with your personal life? Another way to ask it might be, um, what compelled you to write this book in terms of your own life? Like, I imagine like Mm. you're dealing with this stuff too. And can you paint that picture of um, why this book is a ministry to your own personal walk with the Lord? Yes. And it really is. I mean, I wrote it to myself as much as I wrote it to the women that I love and to any audience that would read it. Um, but I share in the book in the, in the beginning, the first time where I really found myself on the floor, as I say, an on the floor moment where I had just come to the end of myself and realized that all of the energy, all the things I was striving for, whether it was for in romantic relationships or grades or accolades or fame or money, the things that the world told me I needed. And I had been running so hard after them, just like most people and finding that they really don't satisfy. They really don't deliver. And not only that, but they're very elusive. Once you reach a certain goal, it's not enough. You want to reach another goal. And those things were not delivering that deep down soul satisfaction that I thought they would deliver. And it was 
truly just, it broke me. It, I, I felt broken because I had been spending myself, my energy, my emotions, my soul on these things that the world offers and they did not deliver. They overpromised and they underdelivered. And so the first time I really felt that was as a freshman in college. Hmm. And for the first time, you know, I went to a school that was much harder than my high school and I was seeing terrible grades and the, you know, friendship scene, the social scene was hard. And my parents, there was a ton going on back home with my parents and my family of origin. And um, I just felt like, Lord, if you're there, I need you to help me because this is not working. I need you to send help. Mm -hmm. And as I say in the book, that was the first time, but it's not the last time. And I think if we're being really honest, those on the floor moments happen on a daily basis, sometimes in a really minimal way where you just, as you said, rehearse the gospel to yourself and you can move on. But sometimes in really huge ways where maybe they come in and wreck your life for days, weeks, months on end. And I think 2020 has been such a wrecking ball. Yeah. Um, And I'm, I'm so glad this message was out there in 2020. Yeah. So you came out, I saw the date uh, you came out with this almost exactly a year ago. Yeah. Literally 11 days before the world shut down. Yeah. Um, So that was unfortunate timing for launching a book. But as I keep joking, it has allowed me to live out the title over and over and over. I can hardly promote the book because nothing's open. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Well, and yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like you wrote this book, but it's not about me. I mean, <laughs> absolutely. Amen. <laughs> and that's, that's freeing. That's refreshing. Um, are there other moments in your yeah. life where you could paint a picture of where you just really confronted, um, coming to the end of yourself? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think as a young professional, I found it in, in my working spaces that I was trying so hard and yet not fully satisfying everybody that was counting on me Um, amongst friends and family, especially people with different beliefs, just wanting so badly to please them, even please my parents. Um, My father was never a believer, Mm -hmm. you know, just have the pleasure of people ahead of me and, um, and then being disappointed in me. Um, and you know, as a young wife, as a young mom, even as an old wife, which I am now and an old mom, which I am now, um, and just feeling like, I, I cannot be good enough. I will not be a great wife. I will not be a great mom. I just won't because I'm a finite and fallen and sinful human being. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to hurt these people mm-hmm. and I'm going to be disappointed in them and they're going to be disappointed in me. And I'm not enough. I need my creator, my maker, my savior and redeemer to come in and rescue me and rescue the situation and help me. And I think 2020, I felt it and I'm sure you did too, as a pastor, we just felt it really deeply and continue to feel it very deeply, whether mm. it was related to um, all of the you know, racial and ethnic turmoil in our country right. or COVID or the election. And it has not gone away. 2021, I feel like is almost just as intense in every way. Um, we're disappointing people in our church. I'm disappointing people that read my words. You know, I, I, I just cannot put my hope in my own perfection. Right. Because that is not real. Yeah, especially if you're a leader. Like, mm-hmm. you know, COVID for me has just highlighted the fact of like, there's just times when it's hard to be a leader. And I'm not saying my job has been the hardest. I look at our mayor or I look at, you know, school board officials. You know, that's just my immediate community here yes. in Madison, Wisconsin. I mean, what about, you know, people at higher levels of leadership? And it's been hard for us, but our people, you know, for the majority of the time, you know, there's been little tensions here and there, but nothing has been crazy dramatic. And we've tried to really preach unity every step of the way. Um, mm. So I'm really grateful for that in terms of our church. But man, like what a horrible time to be a 
a leader in so many different respects and different domains. And yeah, like that whole, um, needing people to like, like me or just being the center and wanting, you know, all the people pleasing stuff. I mean, your, your book enough about me is, um, there's the tentacles that reach out, you know, in so many different ways, right? Like people pleasing or, you know, like insecurity. Um, I mean, it's all like a, a big jumbled mess in all of our hearts, right? Yes. Um, yes. Totally. But it, it seems like for leaders and you're a leader, obviously, um, sometimes it can be even more intense. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, one time when I, so I started a podcast a couple of years ago, which kind of got backburnered as I was working on another manuscript that I recently turned in. Um, so it's been a few months, but when I first started my podcast, one of my teenage daughters said to me as we're driving along, mom, aren't you worried you're going to say the wrong thing? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I like, I know I'm going to say the wrong thing. And I just have to remind myself that that's not where my hope lies. Amen. And, I, and that's true for all of us, but I will fail. I will disappoint. And I have to put my hope in the finished perfect work of Jesus. The end, nothing more, nothing less. Amen. Amen. And that's, that's the freedom and, but it's a battle. It's a battle every day. Yeah. So, um, I had a a guy, we just published a podcast with a guy named Brett McCracken who, Mm -hmm. um, came out with the wisdom pyramid and, um, I got to interview him we talked a lot about social media and, um, you know, a healthy diet of media inputs or just inputs in general. And in dialoguing with these issues with my wife, especially as it re- pertains to women, um, it seems like social media or the Internet in general is kind of like gasoline on the fire for probably some of the challenges that you're writing about. Yes. You think that's true? I, How have you experienced that? I think that is totally true. The statistics are not totally fresh on my mind right now, but they're in the book. And I think it's something like suicide attempts amongst 10 to 14 year old girls have tripled mm-hmm. in the last decade. And um, they're up 50% for grown women. So there's this huge jump in suicide and self-harm amongst women. And there's also a huge jump in social media use and having these iPhones in our hands or these smartphones in our hands 24 seven. So it's just this um, on-ramp to comparison and everybody's publishing their highlight reels, not their real life. Everybody's publishing the beautiful. And even it's so funny, like there's even this whole like area of social media where you publish like the messy, but it's like the messy, beautiful. (laughs) And there's like just this sort of, you know, I'm being so real here. No, Kim, but, and I, Kim and I have joked about we want to start an Instagram account, and I'm sure they're out there. We just haven't found them. But like, literally, I get up at first picture out of bed. Boop, here's me. This is yeah. real life. No, this is very real. Or <laughs> here's my kids spazzing and crying and conflict. And here's uh, my car that's broken down, and I'm exasperated because I don't know what's wrong. It's right. Like... Right. I know. Maybe we should all do that. I don't know. It's. <laughs> I think Brett McCracken is onto something and I'm excited to read his book because the, I mean, the research is out there. You, you cannot argue with the science. The science right. is out there right. that our, consum- our constant consumption of media and especially social media, and this is especially harmful for women and girls who find those platforms to be where they're doing a lot of their socializing and creating their identity and um, just wrapping their lives around these little squares of pictures. Um, it's, it's really harmful. And I feel that, I mean, I'm in my forties. 
stories. And I feel that all the time. Like, are people liking what I posted? What's their feedback? What are the comments? I mean, and so my girls who range in age from 13 to 23, how much more harmful as they're trying to, you know, make their way in the world and figure out who they are, what they want to be like, who God has made them to be. It's just how, how hard for them. So yeah, I think it's a huge problem. Yeah. I mean, Brett and I were talking about, and this is just so insightful. Like it's the iPhone and it's formerly my space. It's me. Mm -hmm. It's my space. And it's Facebook implication. You need more of my face in your area of viewing (laughs) or or it's, um, you know, it's, it's, um, what's the other one? Um, I don't even remember. It's iPhone. You, Oh, YouTube. You, it's all about you. YouTube. (laughs) Yes. You know what I mean? And so your, your book though, Jen is so timely coming off of that interview because it just says enough about me. Mm. Um, and, uh, there's just something like, it just feels like a lie from the garden. Like the, the serpent just wants you to be like, well, did God really say, meaning, do you really need to listen to him? Do you really need to be focused on him? Why don't you just focus on yourself and what you want as opposed to like, no, actually what you want is to not be focused on yourself. And that's right. where your joy is going to be found and focused on him. Yeah. It's totally counterintuitive, countercultural, and counter to our flesh. It goes against everything we hear and everything we automatically think yep. when we're not led by the spirit. Yep. The, you know, our flesh says, and the world says, it's all about you. Just try harder, work harder, hustle more and do what you got to do to invent yourself and then do what you got to do to maintain that identity that you've created. Right. But in so doing, we put ourselves in the seat of the sovereign. We, we turn ourselves into God yeah. and we were not meant to bear that weight. And that's why we're not doing well. Yeah. Um, how have you, I'm just be really curious with your daughters. Um, mm-hmm. You have two daughters? I have four. Four daughters. Oh my word. From 23 to 13. Correct. That's awesome. So I've got four kids too, um, almost all teenagers still in the house. Okay. Um, two boys, two, two daughters. And um, I would love to hear from you. Give us a, let us be a fly on the wall in some of your conversations. Because, oh, man. Because Instagram and they're probably not using Facebook because that's not cool for the kids anymore. But, um, <laughs> you know, Instagram and uh, Snapchat or whatever, um, that's not going away anytime soon. Right. And, um, do you have like boundaries or best practices that are kind of downstream from your book that you're imparting to your girls? Yes, I do. And I just, you know, I have to say I'm not a parenting expert. <laughs> I am in the thick of it. So everybody just take this with a huge grain of salt, uh, check in with the parenting experts after this. But, um, so in our home, we try hard not to really have rules, which I know might sound crazy, but like, we just try hard to avoid the, like, do this, don't do that. And instead, as much as we are able, have good conversations about, you know, why do you want to do this? The why. Yep. Amen. Yes. Preach it. Yeah. So with all these girls, we don't have like a dating age or a social media age or even a curfew. It's like, it's more like, who are you? Who's the boy? Or where do you want to go? Or what social media platform do you want to use? And let's talk about it. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about who God made you to be, what you're struggling with. And then let's decide in wisdom and by prayer, what makes sense for you specifically. So um, 
obviously the 23 year old's out on her own. In fact, she's already married and has a baby. So I'm actually a grandma. Wow. Um, awesome. So she's got to she deal with her own social media situation and yep. she's wise, praise the Lord. But so my 17 year old does have Facebook and Instagram, but she's the only one. And not because we have said no way, absolutely not. Um, but when our, my 17 year old, thankfully the way God wired her, she's not really into it. Um, and so it hasn't been a huge struggle for her to be on her phone all the time and to be checking and to, you know, checking on her likes and comments and all of that. She just rarely posts and doesn't really get into it. So she's blessed in the way that the Lord wired her, that it's not a huge issue for her at this time. Yeah. Um, but with my 15 and 13 year olds, the conversations usually go like this, mom, everybody's got X, Y, Z, you know, Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, right. whatever, um, and I'm like, I'm missing out, mom, like all this is going on. And so the conversation then usually goes like, okay, well, tell me more about what you want to do on it. Tell me what's attractive to you. Tell me what, you, you know, why you're drawn to it. Right. And then the question I always ask them is, do you think it will be good for your soul? Mm-hmm. And I, I try not to say it in a condemning way because I'm asking myself Amen. and I talk to them about things like pornography and mm-hmm. body image mm-hmm. and seeing their friends get together without them. And, you know, seeing all this stuff when they come home from school, their day's not over. They're still having to run in the hamster wheel of teen social anxiety and just their need for rest. And, you know, I just bring these things up and in the end, let them decide, you know, ultimately I'm kind of trying to help them make the right choice. Right. But up till now, we've been able to keep them off and I don't want them to stay off forever. I want to help them navigate social media before they leave home. You know, I'm not trying to have some sort of legalistic, pure culture in the house, I just want them to keep asking, is this good for my soul? And honestly, just delaying a little bit longer the harm that it might bring yeah. about. Yeah, so, I'm curious, Jen, if like hard. for emerging generations, like I could be convinced that emerging generations might actually take some of the data that we're seeing seriously and social media, maybe it will diminish in the future. You know, just like yeah. blogs don't really exist in the same way as yeah. like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, blogs were huge. And maybe yeah. it'll be something else that will tempt us towards, you know, self-destruction. But, you know, <laughs> right. um, but I just wonder, like, maybe there will be a distaste that kids will start to experience at younger and younger ages. Um, but, yeah, I, it's, it's, I mean, it's fascinating. It's like a social experiment. It really is mm, what we're I living know. in, you know. Yeah. I know that I could not have handled it as a teenager, or I would have thought I could have handled it and I would have made a mess. And I'm just grateful I didn't have that extra burden to bear that extra, like, how do I curate and create myself for the other's consumption? You know, what's my brand kind of feeling um, as a 16 year old. So I don't know if that's helpful to anybody out there. I just, a lot of our parenting is just by grace through faith and we mess up a lot and have to apologize to our kids. Amen. Amen. No, same here, but I love what you said about asking the why question, because that will help steer them Mm. away from legalism or licentiousness, you know, um, Mm. asking the why question and what's like, you know, asking the right questions is the key to everything in some sense. Like, how will Mm. this help me glorify God with my life? You know, well, that's a great question to ask, you know, for everything, you know, first Corinthians 10 31, do all things with the glory of God. So can I use social media to the glory of God? Well, there's probably a way. Um, and there's yes. definitely a way not to, you know. Uh, yes. But the why question is so powerful because 
that enables us to not just be rule followers because rule followers don't inherit yeah. the kingdom of God. It's those that Amen. actually, you know, trust Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and then want to follow the rules because they've then answered the why question because I trust the right. word of my father. Anyway, I, I, I won't, I, I need to sometimes be careful. I don't start preaching. Um, but, <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. It's the truth. Um, so I really, uh, Jen, I really appreciate you underscoring that aspect of your parenting is training my kids to ask the why question. I think that's hugely helpful. And we have a, at, at our church at the vine, we have a lot of young families that like you and I mm. are in a different life stage. Um, but we have a ton of families yeah. in the, you know, late twenties, early thirties, two small kids. I mean, that's a, a large portion of our yes. church. So yeah, ours too. Ours too. Yeah. It's kind of weird to feel like the, the old guy at the church, but that's who I am now. I know. I'm like, <laughs> didn't I just get out of college? What is the deal? I, know, I do not feel like I'm in my forties, but no. here I am. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So let me ask you this. How do you personally attempt to manage these things? Um, when yeah. it comes to the, when it comes to, uh, cause in my mind, your book seems sometimes antithetical or at odds to all that social media is. So as you're trying totally. to live out, yeah. if you're, as you're trying to live out what you've written in your book, how is that translated to your personal use of social media or the internet? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll just be honest and say that it is a battle. Um, one of the most precious things in my life is a, what we call a core group. I, Mm -hmm. Then we, we encourage people in our church to be in core groups. And so there's two other women that I meet with every week mm -hmm. and, um, core C O R E each stands for something, but the C stands for confession. Mm -hmm. And these women know me really well. And I know them really well. And every week, week we try to be with God's help, really transparent and confess to each other what's going on in our hearts and where we have replaced God above with yeah. a yeah. idol below. And so I'm constantly confessing this issue and bringing it to them and asking them for their help, not only their accountability, but their wisdom. And they ask me the why. Yes. <laughs> so they're pushing me to go, you know, what is in your soul, Jen, that wants to be fed by the affirmation of other human beings? Why have you enthroned these people rather than God? Yep. And so I'm constantly trying to dig at that. And then, and then they can help me put practices into place. You know, um, again, as I've already expressed, I'm a bit averse to rules, but there are, there are boundaries that are wise. In fact, I, I just texted the two ladies in my core group last night, some new social media guidelines for myself that I was Great. going to be putting into place awesome. um, for the next couple months. And, and so I told them what they were. And so now they'll be able to sort of check up on me and keep me true yeah. to my word. And my belief is that by faith, those steps will help me honor the Lord and remember that he is good and sovereign and he, he already is pleased with me. And I am righteous because of Christ. You know, all those truths of the gospel Amen. that we so easily replace with the lies of this world. So those boundaries I'm hoping will root out just some of the bad habits that have grown up over the last couple months. Yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah, sometimes just saying those things out loud is halfway there. Huge. to experience victory, you know, yeah. um, naming it publicly with another believer. It's like James five sixteen. confess your sins one to another. Yeah. Um, not just to God, but to one another. Yeah. I, I want to turn the corner here a little bit with you, Jen, because there's a huge issue that we've talked about before in this podcast when I actually interviewed my wife. Um, but it's just a reoccurring issue that seems, um, 
I don't know if it's new in our culture, but I'd love to hear what you think. Just this whole idea of like what I call the super mom or the, oh, yes. the, the, the woman that can do everything and be everything. And I just see, it seems like a theme of just young women um, in their 20s and 30s just feeling this pressure, especially when you start having kids too, yeah. like because parenting is very, very sensitive and it's a really big deal. You know, parenting is a big deal, but like, man, I got to do it all right. And I got to feed my kids the perfectly, you know, sourced free range chicken that's never been, you know, <laughs> whatever. Yes. You know what I mean? Like I need to make yes. all my baby food by hand. And yes. um, if, if anybody would see my kids eating fruity pebbles, <laughs> I mean, that would be like, or watching too much TV or, you know, it's like. Where does that come from? And do you yeah. feel that? Have you felt that? Are you seeing that um, in your context like we see it here? Oh, 100% yes. 100%. And, you know, I I praise God that I came up as a young mom without a lot of social media presence. It didn't really come on strong, you know, till maybe the last 10 years or so. Yeah. Um, but I would I was kind of through toddlerhood by then because yep. You know, and because I do fall prey to it, but I can only imagine how much more I would have fallen prey to it before my firstborn came along. Um, and I definitely see it amongst my friends and the women that are just a little bit younger than me that are in a season of life right behind me. It's a huge stumbling block for this this um, this pressure, as you have just said, to do it all, to have it all, to be superwoman, to be able to work either outside the home or inside the home, to raise these kids, to farm to table, everything, to <laughs> um, you know, only organic cotton in your home. Right. Um, and not, and not only that, but to have the right political beliefs and to be doing family worship just so yeah. on a daily basis, you know, it spills over into our spiritual lives, our fininances, our emotions, our relationships. I mean, it's everywhere. Like, but do you feel like there's something unique about it with Christian women specifically? Like, cause in my mind, you add the pressure of, well, we're part of the greatest movement in the world. You know mm. what I mean? And, and so the world might have, well, I want to be a good wife. I want to be a good mom. Um, I want to, but like, and I need to be a rock star at church and like serve mm -hmm. in all the right ways and, um, you know, fall in line with all the church's expectations or whatever. Do you think that adds to it specifically for Christian women or am I off base there? No, I don't think you're off base. I wonder though, if it's not necessarily an adding, except it just looks different. Like sure. there, I think my secular friends, there is this pressure to have the right kind of house and the right kind of car and the right kind of vacation. You know, maybe the pressures are more worldly looking, whereas in the church, the pressures are more like, are you doing your family worship just right on a daily basis? Yeah. And are you um, serving your church in certain ways or whatever the pressures are that each woman feels? So and, and I hate that because that kind of pressure in the name of Jesus is evil. Mm -hmm. it, that That is not from the Lord. Mm -hmm. You know, he is gentle and lowly. He says, you know, let me carry your burden. My mm -hmm. burden is light. Yeah, and amen. so um, he calls us to come and to rest and to be, acknowledge our brokenness in mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. And um, so we, we push up. We push back against that, you know, rejecting Sabbath rest on a weekly basis or a daily basis in some form, um, thinking, no, I've got to work harder. I've got to strive harder so that I'm a good Christian. And I think that is extremely damaging and it is not the gospel and Amen. it is not grace. Um, so I hate that for women. And that's really why I write. I feel protective. I feel protective of Christian women that they would know what's true and not it. be exploited by worldly philosophies. Amen. 
I, I'm curious though, because as I think about my own mother, you know, she's 75 now. And I might not have been paying attention or maybe it was just her personality, but I didn't get the sense that like when you and I were kids, this mm-hmm. was as big of an issue for women. Now, maybe it was and I yeah. was just oblivious, but I'd love to your take. Like, have you talked to older women like in their 60s, yeah. 70s? And, and do they look at women in their 20s and go, yeah, this is a different world? Or what are yes. those conversations like? Yes. No, you're absolutely right. I don't, I don't know the numbers or the t- statistics, but it's true. I mean, I was a latchkey kid. Like I came home and heated up a can of SpaghettiOs. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, was my, so was my wife. Yeah, so was my wife. Right. I mean, my husband too. So no, we didn't have this. And I do think it's a couple things. I think it's our consumer culture has just gr- grown and grown and grown. We're more consumer oriented. We're more, we believe more than we used to, that we are what we buy and we Mm -hmm. are what we produce. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not consuming and purchasing the right products, and if I'm not producing the right output, whether it's my work or my serving or whatever, we line up our identity with those things. And we see them more than ever because of social media, because of the presence of TVs and the internet and phones in our hands. We see what everybody else is doing and we compare ourselves. And so through that comparing, then we strive. And um, actually in my second book that will come out next year, I talk about this in one of my chapters. It's just about the hustle culture that we've created. Like I've got to hustle. I've got to stay up all night and make it happen. I've got to curate my work life and my personal life and all these segments of my life. I've got to even make it look like I am resting well when you're not. And, um, wow. we say, we say what's valuable is what's beautiful and what's productive. Yeah. And in so doing, we do incredible damage to the Imago day mm-hmm. because what we're actually saying is your life is only as valuable as it is pretty and as it is productive. Yeah. And that really trickles down and ultimately causes us subconsciously often to think that the person who has a disability or the person who simply walks in their real finiteness, as we all should be doing, is somehow less valuable, somehow, you know, less worthy of our attention and less worthy of life. And we see this trickle all the way down into our, um, the tragedy of abortion, as well as assisted suicide. I mean, I think that's really part of why assisted suicide is on the rise is because as a culture, we've said, well, if you can't contribute to society, maybe you shouldn't be here. Yeah. And so it's, it's dark. It's very dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think the, the issue of beauty as well, obviously our culture um, has an asymmetry when it comes to men and women and the expe- expectations of beauty. And just thinking right now, as we're talking, like that's an added layer that probably contributes to a sense of exhaustion or self-focus that women are tempted to. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And we're, we're groomed, we're raised that way. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's all around us from the time that we are babies. Yeah. There's no escaping it. And so as parents and just as humans, we need to be asking ourselves and asking each other the why question, as you said, yep. why am I pouring so much effort and energy into outward appearance? Not that that's wrong. You know, I, I want to be quick to say God is the creator of beauty it is not wrong to be drawn to beauty or to cultivate beauty, but where is our hope? Is our hope in outward adornment or it is in Christ in us? And so that's a big difference. Again, asking the why question, like you can look nice and have 
the outward will be the same, but the inner motivations can be very, very different when you ask the why question, right? Yeah. So how have you helped your daughters think about beauty and um, in light of enough about me? Yeah. I mean, it's, these are conversations we're having all the time. Um, I, I will just say, I'll just confess. We're not a very sentimental family. Mm -hmm. I hope nobody feels personally offended by that. We're not like, we're not really into traditions. Um, sometimes I horrify my friends because we don't, I don't know. We've lived all over the world. Our kids were born overseas. We've lived on multiple continents. So traditions were hard to come by. So like there's not that moment where we have like the weekend where I go and talk to the girls about all this stuff or. Oh, I see. Like the, com- really like the those... coming of age ceremony for yeah. your girls. Gotcha. And we just really stink at stuff like that. <laughs> what, what we do well by God's grace is we just talk a lot. And so these conversations are just always, always happening. Yeah. So, you know, the, honestly, I say to my girls frequently and, and with God's help, hopefully not in a condescending way, but like, okay, why do you want that skirt? Why do you want that dress? Why do you yeah. like that? Tell me more about like yeah. what's in style. And I don't want them, you know, I don't feel like they have to wear Land's End turtlenecks 24 seven. That's not my desire sure. for them. I want them to enjoy fashion and enjoy makeup or whatever they like. But the question is why, mm-hmm. what, where is your hope? And, um, and are you enough because Christ is in you is yeah. Christ is enough. If this is all right. taken away from you, or if you're not, you're not going to be satisfied in these yeah. things. And I think sometimes too, just letting our kids get disappointed, mm-hmm. you know, letting them go on that shopping spree and coming home and being like, well, this stinks. These clothes yeah. are not that cute actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then being there to say, yeah, let's talk about who is enough. Yep. One of the the little, I have lots of little mantras that I like to try to inject into our culture because I think um, words create, you know what I mean? And words create culture. And so in light of the title of your book, one of the things that I try to preach to myself in light of the truth of the gospel and my identity and being united to Christ in light of the cross and the empty tomb, if all of that is true and it's not about me, my life ultimately isn't about me is that I've got nothing, nothing to lose, nothing to prove, nothing to hide and nothing to defend. Mm. Um, That's so good. Yeah. And I want to tattoo it on my arm. I think I might in Mm -hmm. the future, nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide, nothing to defend. Um, I'm writing that down right now. I I just feel like um, if, uh, like, I feel like that just really connects with what you're trying to get at in your in your book, because you're saying finding lasting joy in the age of self. But if I have nothing to lose, then I'm free. If I have nothing yeah. to prove, then I'm not so tired. Because trying to prove myself all the time is exhausting. Yeah. I have nothing to hide. That's also exhausting. I mean, ask Adam and Eve in the garden as they're hiding, and you can't hide anyway. Um, but if I'm constantly hiding sin or something that's exhausting um yeah and defensiveness just like man that that's that's also exhausting um when i'm just feeling like i constantly have to defend myself as opposed to christ being my defender like he says that like he's gonna make all things right someday so i don't have to so i don't have to so i just i feel like that's something that i've that's really helped me as i'm Mm -hmm. as i'm working just like you and your girls and everybody else trying to work through these issues. Um, that really has meant a lot to me. Yeah. And what I hope readers of the book and listeners of this podcast can feel from that 
is just tremendous security. Mm-hmm. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more or love us less. Mm-hmm. We are in Christ Amen. and therefore we are approved. There's now, now no condemnation for you and me. And yeah. my hope is that people will just feel incredible peace and security and then be free to live for Jesus, be free to proclaim him to yep. shine their light in the, in the dark places, because that's where they're going to find lasting joy. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm curious to hear where in the world have you lived and for what reasons? Sure. We lived in Okinawa, Japan for about a decade. Um, we took a newborn with us and the um, and then we birthed two there and adopted one from Thailand while living there. Wow. And then um, we, the Lord, so my husband pastored a church for American military members there. So our ministry was to American men and women who serve in the military overseas. Wow. Awesome. And it was great. Those years, they were they were amazing. Our kids were young, and life was messy and full and crazy. And it was, but it was so fruitful with God's help. And it was just, it was awesome. Do you speak um, Japanese? Nope. <laughs> so you didn't have to in living in Okinawa. We had to speak enough to get by a little bit at the bank. You know, we lived a Japanese life in terms of banking and doctors, grocery stores, and all of that. But our ministry and our church was made up of Americans. Okay. So the conversations were in English. And so I am totally embarrassed and sound like such an American loser, but yeah, we don't speak Japanese. (laughs) Um, But we moved to the Czech Republic and we do speak Czech, but I'm quick to tell people that fluency is a spectrum. So I I say the same thing. It's so true, right? Like I speak Czech like a kindergartner, but hey, I do speak it. So yeah, Yeah, a kindergartner can communicate and you can understand that. Right. Yes. Maybe not a very deep conversation, but I can have it. So tell us about what took you, took you there. Yeah. So Czech Republic is one of the world's, depending on the chart that you read, but um, can be listed as the world's most atheist country. Wow. So um, just a huge rejection of the gospel, huge rejection of religion and spirituality in general, less than one half of 1% of the population follow Jesus. So um, just with a burden for the darkness, our family moved there and worked. Um, we're, we actually are still uh, missionaries with Pioneers International. So we, even though we live in the States, we um, provide recruiting and resourcing and um, supportive work in Europe from here. Oh, no way. Um, yeah. Awesome. So we are grateful for that because we love missions and like to still have our hands dirty in mission work overseas, even though we live in the States. So um, we were with Pioneers International as church planters, and we were partnering with a Czech church to plant another church. Um, Although sadly we were called home prematurely. My father was dying from Alzheimer's and dementia and Mm. didn't have anyone to care for him. Um, He was very much alone in that. So we left the work early and came back to take care of him. Wow. Wow. That sounds like a whole other podcast. Um, I know, right? Yeah. So that's how this church was born. Redemption Parker here in Colorado is um, what that has grown out of. So how many years in the Czech Republic? Two. Okay. I've heard that Prague is one of the most underrated, awesome cities in Europe. It is. And we did not live in Prague, but it is. (laughs) I'm sure you visited a few times. Yes. Yes, of course. It's a gorgeous city. It really is. Um, And we have dear friends that serve there. Even as we speak, Um, we were in the uh, second largest city called Brno. Okay. um, In the, yeah. So we do love um, the Czech Republic and Czech people and have a heart for the darkness there. It really is a spiritually, and actually the climate is fairly dark as well. It was was a harder place to live for sure. Yeah. 
Wow. So, but two years goes fast. I mean, that's kind of a blink of an eye, you know. It went fast. Yeah. The girls all went to public school. They became fluent. They oh, made wow. friends. They, they, God helped them. They did beautifully. Um, and we left way too soon. Definitely. Have you guys One thought of those about hard things? I mean, obviously, you're probably not going to make any announcements on this podcast, of course, but like, <laughs> does the conversation with your husband, um, as you think about the future and trajectory, desire to maybe serve in a different country again? Yeah, that conversation happens every single day. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, but we, I, I, I do want to be quick to say that genuinely, I'm grateful for what the Lord is doing here and now. Yeah. And it, it can be tempting in any role to look ahead, um, but I believe you know God has called us to this moment and to these people in this place, and I and I'm grateful for that, and I love them, and I love Him for it. Um, but we do really like to be overseas, so maybe God will let us go back someday. Yeah. So how many years has it been for you guys in, uh, in the Acts 29 church in Parker? Yeah, we came back to the U.S. five years ago. Okay. And you planted and the, the church, church from four. zero? Yes. We actually started just having Bible study in our home yep. because we missed the intimacy of what church was like overseas. Yep. And um, as we met new people and made new friends, the church was born. Okay. So five years old. Yeah, we moved here in 2010. So we're just, uh, it'll be 11 years in July. Um, okay. We did a similar thing where we just um, started meeting and had some folks and, and it seems like a blink of an eye and here we are, you know, yes. 11, 11 years later. But we have a real passion yes. for, um, we just talk about church planting among neighbors and nations. And so oh, we say that too. Do you? Awesome. I well, feel like our churches are brother, sister. They probably would be. We, um, <laughs> so we just want to plant churches uh, here in Madison. And we've had the yes. privilege of doing that twice now. And then, um, praise God. And then we're part of a, uh, a ministry that works um, with church planting in Ecuador. And so okay. we participate in Ecuador a lot. And actually um, one of our staff members and her husband, are being sent out uh, to work yes. down there and be a part of that work uh, in a yes. few months, and then we have um, love it. Then we have a uh, we have like a more accessible place, and then what we call a, a less accessible place. So Ecuador is more accessible in terms of you're not changing time zone, and um, you know it's not like you have to like be super worried about security in terms of like being a Christian um, for the locals. That is, uh, yeah, like you can be a Christian in public and it's not a big deal in Ecuador. And, um, it's not quite as arduous of a journey. You can take bigger teams mm. down there. And then we have another work that we're a part of in Morocco and that's okay. a little less accessible with just right. harder to get there. You have to be a little more careful. Um, yep. and, uh, the church there is very, very different than the church in Ecuador. Both mm. are really, really good and really important. And so I have the joy of like you and your husband, um, I have the joy of being able to travel a lot. And sometimes my wife can go with me, but we're all about just seeing churches um, planted neighbors and nations. And yes, so. we say those same two words all the time. And I love that. And what I hope the listeners of this podcast here is that's where you find lasting joy is just in the work of Jesus yep. going where he's called you stepping out in faith. It's counter to your flesh and it's counter to the culture, but risking it all for his glory and his fame and his name, whether it's across the street or across the planet, that's where lasting joy is found. He says, lose your life to find it. And it's really true. 
And I, I grieve Amen. for many in the American church who never taste and see how true it is, but I, I hope they will take the leap. That's my heart's desire. Yeah. I, I say to our people all the time, like our God is a God of the nations. Like it's not just yes. the God of the United States. And Preach. we all can, we all can like nod our head yes to that. But until you like sit across the table from someone from Ecuador or Czech Republic and you're like, oh wait, this person comes from a different world than my experience as like a kid from Iowa, you know, a white boy from Iowa. Um, this person from Ecuador or Morocco, like, or Japan or Czech Republic, man, they're just, they're totally different from me. And at the same time, we're all humans. And in some, in some sense, we're all the same too, but God loves them and he's doing yeah. something in that country. And so just to like, if you want to, if you say that you want to have a heart for God, you want to be all about what he's all about and you want to experience what he's experienced through his creation. I feel like a, a trip to a different context like that is one of the most, um, what would I say? I wouldn't guarantee a fast track on your sanctification, but at mm. least like it's going to change you in a way yeah. that probably is going to be for the better. You know, I think that's so true. Yeah. If every American Christian could get out of the country briefly, at this moment, I think yeah. 2021 would be fabulous. <laughs> true. Just we get out of ourselves, get out of our self-focus and our self-absorption yeah. and see how big the world is and how good God is and creative and um, look into the eyes and meet the people and see what he's doing yeah. through his redeemed saints around the world. Yeah. And that's, that's so cool how like your book enough about me connects to like a mission trip, because when you go yeah. on a mission trip, what we always preach to our teams is like, hey, just remember, like this trip isn't about us. We're not doing missionary right. tourism. You're there just to be humble and to serve and to mm. love these people that have given their lives to live here. Mm. And so it's it's not about you at all. It's just about you being a blessing. And they all come home like, wow, that was the best week of my life. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, well, maybe there's a yeah. clue there to right. how we should view all of our life like we're all on the missions team. We're all living a mission trip. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm just, yeah. And then in this context, it's really, it's really doable in your city. There yes. are refugees and immigrants in every city. Yes. And so really we're, we're all without excuse in terms of loving the neighbors and nations, even right here. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really true. We have Madison, um, University of Madison, Wisconsin, and you know, there's thousands of international students and, right. uh, but I mean, also just people across the street in my neighborhood that don't know Jesus, yeah. you know, so the missionary yeah. mindset is something that, um, we're really trying to embrace. Like that's my identity. Missions isn't something I do. It's who I am. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and, and Jesus said, love God and love others. These are the two greatest commandments. Mm -hmm. And we're so focused on ourselves. As you mentioned earlier with your interview with Brett, you know, YouTube and Facebook and iPhone, mm -hmm. we're so inward focused and it's not for, it, you know, it's to our detriment. Yep. It really is not good for us. But when we lift our eyes and fix them on Jesus and behold our creator and our savior and obey him, we find that's where we thrive. Amen. Amen. Well, Jen, I think that's a good place to leave it off. Um, I've really appreciated your wisdom. And I know that um, so many women and men uh, that listen to this are really going to be blessed by it. And um, I hope we can get you can get some book sales out of it. Um, Thank you. And uh, yeah, it's it's a great book. And um, 
So maybe when your new one comes out, we can have you back and we can do this. Again. That would be great. Yeah. Well, thanks. This has been super encouraging to me as well. Just very edifying. So thanks for having me. All right, Jen. Thank you. 